Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. Hi, my name is Melissa Smith from GirlBoxing.org, and I'm listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. On this edition of the show, we once again spoke with our colleagues Chris Baldwin of The War Room and Melissa Smith of Girl Boxing on The War Room. A video of this discussion has also been posted on the War Sports YouTube page. On the February 27th edition of The War Room, we discussed Russia's criminal invasion of Ukraine and why Russia must be banned from all world sports. Since that time, some sporting bodies have issued partial or temporary bans or suspensions on Russia and Belarus, but none have thus far expelled them and their sports federations from their organizations. Here is that discussion. Welcome back to the War Room, my beautiful people. It is February 20, what? Six? Seven. 27. Seven. And Putin has gone to war with Ukraine. This is a World War III edition. I'm here with my fight family, Melissa Smith, women's boxing historian, and my boy, Eddie Goldman. We're going to start this show off to discuss the horrible events that have gone down recently. We watched Putin stand on the Olympic stage with Xi and knowing that he was about to invade Ukraine, which I just think is, he, you know, he's a war criminal. He needs to be hauled in front of the uh, Hague Court or whatever international body there is right now. Um, but Eddie, you wrote a fantastic article on your Patreon page um, saying that the sports world should come together. The global sports community should come together and ban Russia from competing in any sports. And I totally agree with you. So let's talk about that. Where are we right now um, with, uh, you know, I think Melissa, we talked earlier about uh, there are no more bouts being sanctioned in Russia. Eddie, what can you tell us about what's going on right now with that? Yeah, I, I encourage people to read that article and subscribe to that page because they're very clearly laid out that this is something that should have been done a long time ago, even before uh, Russia's criminal invasion of Ukraine. It's war there because they have just flaunted uh, doping rules for the Winter Olympics. They were still semi-suspended. It was ridiculous. They called them the Russian Olympic Committee. Who do you think that is? That's going to teach people that it's not Russia? Come on. And so what do they do? Even still under these sanctions, they bring a doped up 15-year-old girl, a figure skater, to compete. In, figure skating is one of the marquee, most popular events in the Winter Olympics. And they knew she was very talented, a favorite for the gold medal. They bring her there and they unsuspend her on a technicality and let her compete. And that became the main story 
of the Beijing Winter Olympics, even more overshadowing uh, China's uh, genocide against the Uyghurs and other Muslim mm -hmm. people and others in, in Western China. And this is what they focused on, and they completely made a mockery of this and a disgrace. And there's supposed to be this Olympic truce where dating back to the ancient Greek Olympics, where people would lay down their arms. The Olympics are barely over. And before the Paralympics, because it's supposed to include the Paralympics, Russia unprovoked invades and attacks Ukraine by land and by sea and by air. And this even pissed off the oligarchs and the IOC, which have bent over backwards and done everything to support what, what Russia is doing because it embarrassed them. The Olympic truce was passed unanimously in the United Nations General Assembly. And they just tore it up. Putin just tore it up for his own, for his own reasons and made a complete mockery of this. So now what I wrote is really part of a growing movement because as I was writing this, there were articles all over the place and statements coming out all over the place from various Olympic committees, from various athletes saying, throw Russia and Belarus, which is allied with Russia in this, mm -hmm. throw them out of world sport because we can, we'll just focus on the, the world sport aspects of this. We can't focus on everything else. It's like a much broader discussion. So there was just a statement that I saw a couple of hours ago, an open letter to the IOC and IPC from Ukrainian athletes that Global Athlete reproduced that includes basically the same thing, that they want to immediately suspend the Russian and Belarusian National Olympic and Paralympic committees right now, today, because of this invasion by Russia and supported by Belarus. And it's openly signed by a number of prominent athletes from the Ukraine in various sports and various organizations. You have Athlet in Deutschland, which is the organization of German athletes. You have many others put out similar statements such as this and similar demands. The, the Belarus Sports Solidarity Federation, because uh, the dictator there, Lukashenko, has been suppressing the various athletes who try to kidnap one of them recently. All this stuff is going on and the athletes are rebelling. On the other hand, while the athletes are saying this, and of course the public is saying this, the sporting organizations in the most of them anyway, are not. While the IOC issues some hand-wringing and you know crying about this stuff, they've done nothing to throw, to suspend Russia or Belarus. In terms of the various federations, some of them are announcing, well, we, you know, we can't hold our events, we're moving our events away from Russia. But it's like a, a practical thing. They're not saying that it's that it's not just pra a practicality, but it's in protest to this war and demanding Russia be thrown out of the movement for everything that it's done, from the doping, from the cheating, to the war, to everything that you can list there. So you have a situation, for example, in wrestling, 
there's a major wrestling tournament going on now in Turkey and there are wrestlers from all these different countries going on. And the so-called UWW, which is beholden to its vice president, Mikhail Mamashvili of the Russian Wrestling Federation, who was barred from the United States. And that's this dates back even before 9-11. He can't come to the U.S. When they held the world championships in the U.S. a couple of years ago, he was barred. When they held the world championships in 2003 in the U.S. freestyle, he was barred, even though he's head of the Russian Wrestling Federation. And I haven't been able to find any statement condemning this war or invasion by them. In terms of boxing, the IBA, which is still suspended by the IOC, has said, yeah, they're going to move one of their events out of Russia. But again, it's put as more of a practicality. In other words, with the, with the pandemic, there were a lot of announcements that various events were canceled. They had to be moved because of travel restrictions and all of this, which weren't necessarily the fault of the, the Federation or people running the sport. That was just the situation with the pandemic. But they just sort of matter-of-factly say it. They don't say why. And more importantly, the big sponsor of the IBA, the International Boxing Association, formerly IEBA, the Suspended Olympic Boxing Federation, is Gazprom, the Russian energy monopoly, which is on the sanctions list. I don't know. The sanctions are changing and being uh, heightened as we speak. So I don't think they were completely sanctioned. So wait a minute, Eddie. Hold on a second. So Gazprom is on the sanctions list, but it's allowed to sponsor the Olympics? That doesn't well, make Gazprom sense to me. is on the sanctions list from the U.S. and allies, okay, of certain sanctions about new financial restrictions and things like that. You could you could read it. And they were asked by the Inside the Games uh, news website, are you, are you keeping Gazprom as a sponsor? And they said, yes, we're keeping them as a sponsor. In other words, a major source of funding from the sanctioned organization. Now, if they're fully sanctioned, I don't even know how this is going to work with the greater sanctions that are being put now on the Russian central bank. But aside from the practicality of it, it shows that this organization, which is being funded by a Russian state monopoly, is claiming that it's going to reform boxing and be democratic and, and all this other stuff. And this is just utter nonsense. It's just destroying boxing. And right. other, this is going on in other federations, too, where most of them are just issuing very weak statements of, oh, we're sorry this happened. We got to move our events out. But again, it's not being put that they moved out in protest to this war of aggression, this illegal attack on Ukraine, because right. a lot of them have, have the heads of these companies and funding from Russian oligarchs. So this is what's going on in the Olympic movement. And in professional uh, boxing, the four major sanctioning bodies got together, which is really unprecedented. And they said, we're not gonna sanction any fights in Russia. Uh, but how much this is just practicality and how much this is a, pro a real protest against this, remains to be seen, but they did take more action, certainly than, uh, than was done in, in amateur boxing and in most amateur sports. 
So you have this crisis going on. Russia is a major sporting country. They pour a lot of money into it. It's a lot of people call it sports washing to show what a modern, civilized, progressive country right. they are exactly. because they're able to produce all these athletes. And they do have a lot of great athletes, even without the doping. There's no question. It's a major sports, major sports power. So if you're going to ban them, which they should, and I wrote this and I stand by it, it's going to start to be the end of the all-inclusive international sports movement, which I felt for a long time is unsustainable because whatever the athletes do, they have to follow what the athletic organizations, which are controlled by Putin and the state, tell them to do, which means they have to cheat, they have to dope whenever they want them to, whenever these people running it want them to. They don't have the choice. I mean, it's very obvious in the 15-year-old figure skater had little choice in what was going on, right. but there are some of these people are, are adults. And so we're seeing a breakdown of this Olympic movement, this corrupt Olympic movement, and we have to try to develop something over time that's outside of it. It's unsustainable. It's corrupt to the core. This is just the, the, the most egregious example of it with this, uh, with this Russian invasion. Sure. And how long the Putin regime lasts, uh, we'll see. Because a lot of regimes that I pointed out, when they launch a war, they, it really hurts their own regime when things don't go so well for it. We're going to see how all that develops. So that take, that's taking us uh, farther away from sport. So it's important to look at all of this, and it's important to be principled on it. And it's not going to be easy. The world is at war now, and Russia has to be isolated and defeated. And a new sport structure has to be built up and developed where the athletes, the independent athletes, have a much greater say, where there are real uh, real sanctions and for doping and cheating and everything that Russia is so infamous for. Something new and different has to be built. And that's not going to be that's not going to be easy. It's going to take some time. Right. Well, first, we got to we got to get Putin out of power first. Uh, Melissa, you lived in Russia. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience and what you think uh, the Russian people are going to how are they going to react? Are, I see them. Some of the anti-war demonstrators are in the street. Do you think they can push Putin out of power? I mean, what do you what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, yeah, I did live in Russia uh, for two years from 1992 to 1994, just after the fall of the former Soviet Union. Uh, it was an incredibly volatile time. I was there uh, living in the Russian Far East in the cities of Vladivostok and then Khabarovsk. Um, I was what, there. what were you doing there? I was there as part of a, a U.S. Peace Corps initiative wow. um, to assist uh, Russians in transition to uh, sort of de developing Western practices of business. And we had volunteers in bank in banking. Um, we had volunteers in, in structured industries. And in my case, I worked with um, on a sort of a transactional level with small business owners who are transitioning to using double accounting systems and a variety of just technical things. Um, it was a very volatile time. I was there uh, at the time when there was the push in, in, in these 
so Russian parliament to get rid of Yeltsin. This was in 1993. So I've been there uh, during some fairly harrowing times. The one thing that I came away with is that the Russian people are extraordinary and have lived through extraordinary times in, in just one generation. Um, and they are always, they are were the kindest, most lovely people that I have ever lived with under really harrowing circumstance. That having been said, um, at the fall of the Soviet Union, in my opinion, they were not the government, the succeeding governments of uh, who were trying to govern in Russia, which uh, as the different republics started to break away into their own states, were never given a, a sense of respect that they felt was their due. Um, you know, the, the Soviet Union had a powerful enemy called the United States of America, and they saw each other as, as equals. And the gloating of the United States uh, running around going, well, we solved the Cold War and history is over, is something that is not a great thing to do right. when an, an entire nation is undergoing a collective nervous breakdown because everything they knew is gone. Right. Um, so when Putin came to power after what was perceived as the weakness of the drunk Yeltsin, he was very much appreciated. He was a man who would stand up for Russia and stand up and give them a sense of pride, which was something in a nation that has lost its way, lost its soul, lost itself, was incredibly important. Mm -hmm. But over time, you know, Putin has gone unchecked. He's first and foremost, a very smart guy he was in the KGB and he used and leveraged the oligarchs and the development of, of sort of stripping down the former state, the former government owned industries, such things as gas and oil uh, and uh, various extraordinary number of, um, of, of commodities. Um, to leverage opportunities to make a lot of money, not a right. lot of which was ever put back into Russia, but was uh, divvied up into, you know, bank accounts. Sorry, Sugar Ray wants to say <laughs> Hey, Sugar Ray. Hi. Mark, Putin siphoned off a lot of that money and it's sitting in a Swiss, a yeah, Swiss and, bank account was, somewhere. Yeah, and, and along with his friends. His, his oligarch, oligarch friends, right. Which helped and, you know, and mafioso more than and, just yeah. mafia, and right, you know, right. got into a lot of nefarious stuff. You know, listen, when the Soviet Union first broke up, the only countries that Russians could travel to unimpeded without essentially without a, a, a visa in hand that would take many months to get if they wanted to come to the United States was Cyprus and Turkey. Wow. And you could just take a flight to Turkey. People would fly into Turkey. They'd buy a visa at the airport for like 10 bucks, load up the, their uh, load up the plane on the way back with goods and sell them. I mean, it was really transactional in those days. But and, and Putin used sports, as we well know, as another form of leverage of mm -hmm. keeping the greatness that was the power, former power of the Soviet Union. So, you know, here we are all these you know, a, a generation later, and it's been that long since Putin's been in power. And, you know, he has extraordinary power within his own state. He has solidified his position 
but it's at, been at the expense of his a very brutal um, crackdowns within his own nation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like imprisoned singers and I mean, <laughs> just really kind of crazy stuff. Right. So the people within the country are saying, no, we don't want this guy. We didn't vote for this guy. We have, he's here because he's here. We have no power. So the average Russian is not living all that much better than they were 25, 30 years ago. Right. Except now the, some of the safety net that existed under the Soviet system doesn't exist, but it's still hard and tough living. And, 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 um, for Russian individual Russian people, they don't want to see their sons, their daughters themselves killed for what? They consider Ukraine their their sister, their brother. Right. You even see that, you know, in, in interviews with Russian soldiers. I, mean, I, I don't know who to shoot. I, yeah, I what, what to that's, that's really sad. I saw a POW video today, which I asked the guy who posted the POW. I'm a Cold War veteran. You know, it's like, dude, just take yeah. it down. We don't want to see these Russian guys who on camera are saying, we were told to form because we were going to go do military exercises. And when they got there, they found out they were going to war. So they were very, you know, their heads were down. They were just, you know, they didn't want, some of them don't want to be in war. Some of those soldiers, Russian soldiers. So my, my heart goes out to everybody that's affected by that. It is, and that, that Putin is causing this global humanitarian crisis. I mean, I hope the Russian people do push him out. That's why they suppressed all opposition. They've censored the media. Mm -hmm. They've locked up any any serious, any real opposition forces. There were demonstrations all over Russia against this, and they were immediately broken up uh, by by Putin's police all over the place. And they're censoring the Internet. They're censoring everything that's going on. And it's very difficult for them to get information. And they put uh, Putin spreading lies on his uh, on state controlled TV, saying that uh, Ukraine is controlled by neo-Nazis and drug addicts. Well, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, is of Jewish origin. And several of the previous <laughs> members of his family were murdered by the Nazis oh in the Holocaust. This is who is a so-called neo-Nazi. He's more of like a liberal centrist type. Right. And in terms of the drug addicts, this is a country that was nearly thrown out of the Olympics for a state-sponsored doping, doping scandal program, that sent right. the exactly. 15-year-old Kamala Vavueva <laughs> to the Winter Olympics full of, you know, all doped up. You know, it's just, it's just nonsense. And there are some... They closed down various forms of independent media, calling them foreign agents. There's a little bit left that's getting more difficult for people to have that information. But from what I could see, there's no real enthusiasm in Russia no. for this because then what the hell do we do we need this for? The coronavirus pandemic is still there. The people right. don't trust the, the distrust of the government and the vaccines is different than in the United States, where it's a bunch of COVIDians and morons and fascists who who don't believe in science, they know in Russia they'd lie about the science. So that that's still going on there. The economy isn't good, their lives aren't good, and so now they're going on 
a war with the the neighboring the neighboring the neighbor with, with their where their sisters and brothers live. Right, and right. you know, so, people would go back and forth. Also, even always. after it was the Soviet Union, when you go back and forth between Ukraine and Russia and the Baltic states and Kazakhstan, all these different places, it was it wasn't exactly the same as going from state to state in the United States, but it wasn't really that that big of a deal when people would uh, would yeah, move it, around. Exactly, especially in this post-Stalinist era, there was much more freedom of movement mm -hmm. uh, between the states. And you know, there's universities. I mean, it, and Kiev is a cosmopolitan city. I mean, so I mean, just not anymore. So all of this is just horrible. Right. I mean, for us in the boxing world, of course, we, we, we feel it because we have, you know, the Klitschko brothers are there. Right. Vitaly Klitschko is the mayor of Kiev. Right. So there's a real... I and think his city is surrounded world. by Russian troops right now. Yeah, and they're fighting exactly. their hearts out for freedom. And, uh, you know, this is going to be probably their worst night because right. they are now surrounded right. um, and we'll see, do they survive? Right. So, uh, you know, as I said, uniquely for the boxing community, there's a real sense of the individual humanity right. of individual people, politics aside, you know, the Klitschko brothers are, are our brothers. Right. Well, exactly. is our brother. Um, Vladimir went back to Ukraine. Yep. I think he spends most of his time in the United States. Mm -hmm. He's very rich. He went back and volunteered to fight. And there are, there's pictures of him doing that. Alexander Usyk, the unified heavyweight champion, who's, who was training for and negotiating the terms of his uh, rematch with Anthony Joshua, was in the UK when the war broke out, dealing with plans for the rematch, the contracts, the venue, all that, you know, routine stuff. He went back and is back in Ukraine at this time. And that's where he was going to train in Ukraine. So, well, that's that's thrown another monkey wrench. Is he fighting for the Russians or are he fighting for Ukrainians? Well, he's fighting well, he's for Ukrainians. Ukraine. Yeah, but there's some pro-Russian Ukrainians in Ukraine. Well, he's so he's always stood for peace between them. But now you don't have peace. All right. He's on. Just he's, he went back to Ukraine to fight. Right on. Right on, Usyk. All right. I like that. Like to hear that. Yeah, All right, you so, guys. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so look, uh, if you guys want to uh, find out ways here, are ways you can help uh, the Ukrainian people because they've been under siege from Russia. And it's not just today or this past few weeks. He's been at them for like eight years or so. Um, but ways you can help, you can donate to orgs like the International Rescue Committee, and they are at rescue.org. You can also help Ukrainian soldiers directly uh, through an organization called Revived Soldiers Ukraine, and they are at rsukraine.org on the web. And um, there's another one offering medical supplies, another organization that's at give.internationalmedicalcore.org. And of course, you can always donate to the Red Cross. All right. So if you guys don't have anything else to cover uh, today, this is our World War III edition. We are done. Eddie, you want to tell her what's that? Yeah, I, I want to add one thing. There's an article that I reposted from 2018 about uh, Russia's attempt 
at creating a COINTELPRO-like uh, campaign against the black community in the United States. Because there are some people saying, well, this is just Europeans or whatever. Russia is a white supremacist leadership. Putin is the international leader, along with Trump, of the white supremacists and the fascists. And they try to infiltrate the black community through using martial arts and combat sports. It was a failure, but I detailed that in this article about that, that I wrote on the, the National Writers Union website, and I recently uh, retweeted it on Twitter. So you could get some uh, global perspective and tie that in. So, and my Patreon is patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. Uh, subscribe to that page, and we're going to continue with this and all these types of uh, issues. And I'm tweeting a lot at, at NHB News on Twitter. And my website is eddiegoldman.com. Right on, Eddie. Thank you. Melissa, tell the people where they can find you. Hi, uh, my website is girlboxing.org. And on Twitter and Instagram, I am at girlboxingnow. Right on. All right, folks, this is the Fight Goddess. And I am on Twitter at Angry Afro Radio and also on IG at fightgoddessfitness.com. So you guys check us out at War Sports, that's W-A-A-R sports.com online. And we will see you next time. Peace, love, and push-ups. Bye.